0: Today you get to meet Chad Hennings, class of 88, grew up in Iowa on a farm, (laughs) is what he told me. Um, Went to the academy, and I think you might have heard of him. He played a little bit of football. He was also on wing staff, was a great student. Uh, Upon graduation, became an A-10 pilot, and halfway through his Air Force commitment, uh, the rules changed, and he was able to uh, get out of uh, active duty and go off to join the Dallas Cowboys. We talk about everything. It's a very interesting interview. I think you guys are going to love it if
1: this works for you i'm good to go
0: all right outstanding well i always like to start first off thanks for doing this i always like to start by asking do you have a message for the uh, prospective cadets the current cadets the recent grads and then the old goats like us do i have a message yeah
1: yeah you know my message would be uh hang in there uh be resilient And the one message, you know, for the, for the grads would be, you know, the lessons that you learned at the academy, uh, make sure you continue to utilize those and give back to those in the long blue line and continue to give, you know, impact your community, wherever you may find yourself planted today.
0: Cool. So I assume that some of that came from where you grew up. So what, how did you, how did you find yourself at the Academy? Where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up, I'm a, I'm a farm boy from Iowa. I grew up in an East central part of the state of Iowa outside Cedar Rapids, a rural community, consolidated school district, smaller, you know, graduating class. I had 120 in my class, how I got to the Academy. Um, was basically I received a postcard in the mail. Hey, this is the Air Force Academy football team. We're potentially interested in you playing for us. If you're interested, please give us your information and send the card back. That's how I initially was intrigued because I wasn't really highly recruited coming out of high school. But how I got there, ultimately, my high school football coach, Shortly thereafter, between my junior and senior year that summer, had asked what I wanted to do. And I said, Coach, my goal is I'd love to play Division of College football. I just received this correspondence from the Air Force Academy. And from researching it, I think I'd really like to go to the Academy, Air Force Academy. He took it upon himself to put together a 16-millimeter film, drive the 900 miles from our hometown area in Iowa to the Academy, drop the film off at the football office with, of all people, Mike Gould, <laughs> who was the prep school coach, but he was responsible for recruiting that part of the country, Iowa. And Coach Gould looked at the film and he went into, uh, I think, Fisher DeBerry, who just took over the position from Ken Hatfield at the time and said, hey, we probably need to re- be recruiting this kid. <laughs> I think he'd be a good one for us. And that's I was the last recruit that they brought in. Um, after the season, this was, I was brought in during spring ball, right before I graduated from high school. So that was how I got into the academy.
0: Wow. And I I read somewhere that you also did a lot of wrestling.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was late in taking a visit because I was in wrestling season. I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to miss any meets. And I was fortunate because I ended up winning the state championship, the heavyweight bracket in Iowa. And that's after I did that, that's when a lot of the recruiting from other schools were started to knock on my door. By that time I was already committed to the Air Force. I said, well, if you didn't want me back then, yeah, sorry, I'm going to the Academy.
0: So, okay. So <laughs> I assume that freshman year, duly year was a little different than your expectation. You know,
1: yes and no. Um, I have always, you know, through my experience in athletics have been a very disciplined person, but I mean, you can prepare yourself mentally for it, but until you actually go through it, there's always that nuance of different things that pop up, obstacles. But I, it, it was not the most enjoyable experience, <laughs> but yet it, you know, those things, I, I kind of relish that, that it's, I've, I've always subscribed to the wisdom that I've learned more from my failures and I've learned more from, the obstacles in life that I've learned more from any victories or if, if all life was a layup and smooth sailing, we would never get anywhere. So, I mean, that's, I kind of <laughs> relished in that environment and that's what, you know, I needed for me personally was that restrictive environment to stay focused, to be challenged and, um, you know, looking back on it now, it was the best thing for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a theme that we all pipe out with, with, surviving that trauma or that that crucible of the first first uh, few months is uh, can be shocking depending on where you come from and and it uh, it's great to be done with it and you feel really proud after you've done it
1: <laughs> yeah and, and and for me it was getting into with a good group of guys a group of friends uh, classmates cuz uh you know if you're isolated and alone it gets to be some pretty long days and you start to get too deep into your head and you can convince yourself that, Hey, it'd be easier. Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence to go somewhere else. But that's where you you lift each other up and you keep on pressing on. And, and that's where I really, you know, also subscribe to that stuff when you're going through it, all you concentrate on is the task at hand today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take care of itself. Just worry about today.
0: So, what, uh, so you finished, uh, the beast and everything. Did you guys go through Jack's Valley? Yes. And did you guys still do the meanest mother, uh, contest?
1: Where the, uh, the bugle stick battle yeah, stuff? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I actually got second.
0: Oh, somebody beat you. You got be-
1: somebody beat. Well, it was a decision and they, whoever called it, uh, called, it, I was, I should have called for a recount. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I ended up, uh, Getting beat on points or something like that, whatever it was. Yeah. And, uh,
0: Not enough sawdust in the eye or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, did that, I'm just curious, did that other guy graduate?
1: Yeah, we were classmates. He's actually another ball player and um, he is now a medical doctor.
0: Okay. Cool. He <laughs> knocked some sense into him, bro. That's right. <laughs> All right. So then you go off to your, uh, your academics. I mean, I know you're, you're on the team and so you got to go through the, the regular uh, athletic stuff, but you also have the academic load. And from what I can tell you, seem to excel in both of those.
1: Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate in my time there. I was a two-time academic all American. So I graduated with a, you know, over a three, two GPA. Um, But I remember from my, my fourth class year, Being on making the team, I was a backup tight end and we went to the Independence Bowl. And so we're at a bowl game in December, you know, middle part of December when everybody else is doing finals or getting ready to go on leave. I had to come back, you know, as that freshman, as that fourth classman, come back and take finals. So all my classmates, everybody is gone. And I'm sitting here, you know, by myself having to take five or six finals, whatever it was. And I'm just that was tough you know, having to, you know, being a, your fourth class year, your first chance to get a break, to get away. But, you know, everybody gets down on, on, you know, the athletes at times thinking that you get all these benefits, but to me, there wasn't a big benefit there. My friends got an extra about a week of leave than what I did over, over Christmas break. And, you know, but Hey, that's it. Sacrifice must be made. Right.
0: So you, so I, yeah, I want to emphasize that, that the, uh, the athletes at many schools get a better deal at air force. They're doing the same load as everybody else for the most part uh, with their athletic requirements on top of it. And it's a, it's quite an honor, I think to uh, for us to be able to cheer you guys on because you guys are doing a hell of a job for us.
1: Yeah. And and, I appreciate that. And that's where we really, you know, I personally try to be, you know, part of the squadron, part of the guys up on the Hill you know, be engaged. I was on wing staff for a semester, my junior year, and um, you know, to, to have that holistic experience and to be there because you know, even though you play football and it's on the fields of friendly strife, the MacArthur quote, yeah, you still um are part of the team. And to be a part of that team, you know, you have your team, we're part of the you know, the brotherhood we call it the fighting Falcon, the football team but the bigger team was I was going to be serving on active duty with my classmates in yeah. some capacity out, you know, quote unquote, in the real air force. And that was what we were truly pre- preparing ourselves for was to be officers, potentially, hopefully career officers in the air force.
0: So, so that duly year finals by yourself, and then uh, you end up going off to a, an upper class squadron. What, what, did, what, what was your duly squadron? What was your upper class squadron?
1: I was in my duly squadron. I was, Barnstorming two three, okay, and then I was a uh, twenty one blackjacks my last three years, and um, Lance John Squadron.
0: Uh, okay, interesting. And then uh, did you guys still do Siri back then? Oh yeah, okay. Yes, we did, and that I'll, that was I'll.
1: that was an experience. I I was glad I had it first period because I wanted to be able to gain the weight back that I lost. <laughs> I felt for the guys that were third period and then had to go into training camp or whatnot i mean get ready for the season coming back where they're you know 15 20 pounds lighter than what they should be
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but um no i if you want to get into i siri what that that was a challenge that was a challenge for being a bigger guy too particularly i don't know if we can get into whatever but it, you know the pow compound and
0: did you have the one-legged stools like we did
1: yeah the one-legged stools sitting in yeah. that little box and they yeah, the shove box. you into yeah. the uh the little pinecone box and and the music the, the boots boots marching up and down again and the and the little <laughs> korean kids doing their little chime i mean that's i still have nightmares today thinking about that
0: uh, the bells of rostov is what the song i remember yeah i had yeah oh, okay yeah we we had the we had similar story in that regard that I would, <laughs> you don't need to know this, but I, uh, I got to go to Siri twice because the Navy made me go do their version of it. So I got the waterboard in the Navy time. It's pretty. Oh, excellent. Yeah. What a deal. Um, so that, that brings me a question. So did you have normal summers like everybody else? Did you have the, uh, the three, three week uh, summers? Yes. We,
1: um, I was fortunate enough every year, except for my, between my junior, and senior year, um, Got the three weeks of leave at home, and that was predominantly spent. It was always I was very fortunate to have third period leave every time, and okay. that's where I just spent at home getting ready for football, get, making sure I was in shape and lifting in cardiovascular shape. But between my junior, senior year, I ended up doing a summer research project. It was torture, believe me, John. I, I had to had to <laughs> spend several weeks in Boston at Hanscom Air Force Base doing. A research project, and it was torture to having to go down to the Cape and to Faneuil Hall, and you know, run all over Boston too. So, but hey, again, sacrifices must be made, right?
0: <laughs> so, what was what was the research?
1: I was I'm being very facetious. No, it was just um, yeah. Yeah. I was a financial management major, and they had the project where I went on and and went into acquisitions. So that was the research. They called it summer research, but it was Another integrating trick- in an active duty squadron. Yeah, and I did contracting and, you know, kind of saw from a finance perspective.
0: So that was your what that
1: side of the air force was like.
0: Was that your like your third lieutenant deal or?
1: Uh, no, no. This was actually you know operations okay. air force. No, that I was in the uh, I did that in the Azores. The three weeks there, that was our sophomore year. We did that our third class year, and then um, but this was the only selected. It was kind of a. A cool thing—they had like six or seven at the time in each major to go on these summer research projects. So I was fortunate enough to be able to get selected to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Boston in the summertime—what a rough, rough. Yeah, it
1: was was tough.
0: (laughs) So uh, the other question is: What did you do to blow off steam? Because you—you were playing sport. You were a high achiever academically. You had to go through the whole drill. What did you do to blow off steam?
1: So what was cool was again a tight group of guys in the squadron and teammates wise, you know, just being able to hang out. That's, that was the big outlet and that's where I, <laughs> you know, I, I'll make kind of an analogy or comparison here that I've done a lot of research in on post-traumatic stress and the number one, um, modality of treatment is, is to talk with guys, to get your story out, just share the experience so you can help you process through it. And that's essentially what we all did. You sit around and just, you know, you talk about your day, you're in the squadron room, you're you're blowing off steam, or you're going to your uh, sponsor's house with your classmates or whoever's at your, whoever, your sponsor, the other yeah. um, cadets that they're sponsoring. And, you, you know, you have these conversations, you know, over beer or whatever, and you're kind of just – this is crazy stuff. I can't believe we're doing it. Look at great experiences. But man, that was tough. And it just, that was the outlet. Um, and then, you know, the other outlet was always working out, too, yeah. For, yeah. for the football team.
0: Did you uh, get to clean your room on Friday nights? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah, we, we weren't exec, exempt from Sammy's, unfortunately. <laughs> well, during the season, we were. Yeah. If we had a game. But um, no, we always. Cleaning my room was not necessarily a good outlet. I was <laughs> ten, I would say.
0: Uh, did you ever get in any trouble?
1: Um, nothing major. i I had some. We recently got together with some classmates and uh, <laughs> talked about how they were centurions on on marching on tours. I was never that. I I was always paranoid. About yeah. I, I never went OTF. I never did you know anything wrong. But yeah, I I had demerits. I had you know I think the most demerits I ever had was ten demerits in one no. semester. So I I was pretty, I was a straightforward. Um, didn't rock the boat on a lot of stuff. So twenty
0: one was in the old dorm, right?
1: john um, No, it was in the other uh, way.
0: Okay, so you're over, okay. You're in because yeah, I I we got some tours when I was at late for class or something i got eight and four once and i go okay we're gonna march these off and i would go every time i go to the tour pad from 36 from over there by the chapel i would get you couldn't keep your gig line straight you couldn't keep your shoes perfect and you'd always get more tours when you showed up at the tour pad it was like <laughs> an infinite loop it was off <laughs> yeah. so you're wise to be very paranoid about getting tours yeah exactly but so but I think the big point well, for that is you weren't exempt from any of the discipline. No, I mean,
1: I've, yeah, believe me, no. And, and if we did, a lot of times, if we did get in trouble, you'd be down running. We call them gassers and, yeah. and sprints so that we had the physical punishment there too. But what we were very fortunate about, we had some pretty good football teams back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, we won the Commander Chiefs Trophy a couple times. We won Beat Notre Dame twice when I was there. Um, so when you have those big wins, and the commandant or superintendent was gracious because of that. You know, they give amnesty a, a couple times. <laughs> and that, that was pretty cool.
0: Erase the record. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> um, did you ever think of quitting? Every day. So I what, think um, my, yeah.
1: particularly my freshman year going through basic. Um, I could just remember just looking out my dorm room, looking, I'm looking to the East and I just said, man, it's how easy it would be just to, say this i'm done with this and go but it was that's where i learned that aspect of hey just concentrate on today focus on what's important today tomorrow worry about itself but i i i think that if you don't anybody that tells me that they never thought about quitting particularly during their fourth class year i i'd i'd question their sanity because i think we all did
0: i uh I wasn't enjoying it, but they shaved my hair so short. I didn't want to go to a civilian school with short hair. (laughs) So I told myself, I will, I will gut it out at least until I can comb my hair. And by that time I was on Act pro and I said, well, shoot, they're going to kick me out. I don't have to quit. (laughs) So I'll keep, I'll keep getting a free education until they throw me out of here. And they never did. I ended up graduating, but it was kind of a, that was a battle me and the Dean the whole four years. (laughs) All right. So you, you, you are a, you're on great teams as I do. I do. I got some football stats for people if they want to know you are still the leader of a bunch of amazing deals where they just started keeping stats. I think because of you, right. Sacks Sack, yeah, and tackle for loss and yardage loss and all this stuff. You're the top guy on all these things.
1: Yeah. I, um, I was very fortunate. I had great teammates and, and great guys that played beside me that allowed me to do what, you know, what I had to do. And it, you know, we were very fortunate. My senior year, our, our goal is always, you know, to win the commander chief's trophy, but we really wanted to do that because we wanted to go visit president Reagan. And
0: so you got to do that. You
1: know, so that's what you got to do. What You got to do, be the best of your position. And let the chips fall where they may, but you do what you got to do.
0: So what, so I that's, that's one of my big questions. What's it like as a cadet getting to go to the white house,
1: man, I, uh, I think, you know, every year around this time and, you know, since we just won the commander chief's trophy again this year, it, uh, it was a true honor Uh, and and it's very surreal that you're in the, in the oval office. We were able to go into the oval office and, you know, meet president Reagan at the time, shake his hand. And it's just, it's one of those feelings that I I can't believe I'm here. It seems like it's a, it's a movie or it's, it's not real, but I've got the pictures to prove it. <laughs> we actually were there and it was him, but it was a tremendous honor, tremendous honor and phenomenal experience. And it was one of those once in a lifetime things that you look they back on and say, that was really cool.
0: And was that over a weekend or did you get out of class? No, right? we
1: actually, yeah, we got out of class. Um, we flew one of those, uh, not a 737 uh, 737- Into there and you know, private plan, whatever that they sent us on, and we had a chance. Got in the night before, next day, you know, you tour the Smithsonian, you kind of do a meet and greet at some of the other Air Force um, bases, and some of the meet some of the leadership in the Air Force, their senior leadership. And then it was, you know, go meet President Reagan, go go to the White House, and that was really cool.
0: Wow, yeah, I've, I've. Went to high school back there, but I've never been to the White House. So that that's pretty cool. So, uh, so we uh, so the, now this gets into a little tricky question that you're you're getting ready to graduate, and somebody uh puts you on a on a draft notice. <laughs> how did that? How did that? Uh, how did that? Start? Yeah, well, for for me,
1: it was unusual. <laughs> I you know the success that I had my senior year, I was at the top of a lot of draft lists. You know having. All-American status, Outland Trophy, and all that stuff. But I had several inquiries from teams that had asked me, you know, first of all, they wanted me to go to their version of the Combine. It's not like it is today yeah. what it was back then. And, you know, I said, no, you know, because it's I'm not going to play. I've got a commitment, and I'm going to go fly Jets, so I've got a longer commitment. So <laughs> playing in the NFL is not going to happen. But Gil Brandt, who just went in the Hall of Fame here a couple of years ago and the NFL Cowboys player personnel director for years? One of the pioneers in professional football, uh, innovators, I should say, in professional football. Would always be at these different All American functions. And uh, I played two senior bowls at the Japan Bowl and the East West Shrine game. And he was there and he always said, Cowboys are gonna draft you. And I said, you <laughs> know, Mr. Brand, that's, that's awesome. I, you know, it'd be an honor, but you know, sir, so I'm, I'm not eligible to, to play. And sure enough, they, they drafted me. I watched, you know, listened to the first round on the radio, I think when the draft was going on and you know, of course I didn't get drafted the first round. So I went the second day, I didn't even, I wasn't even paying attention anymore. And I was down lifting in the weight room in the, in the football weight room. And I got a call from somebody, Hey, the Cowboys just drafted you in the 11th round.
0: Eleventh. I'm like, oh wow, that's cool. What does that mean? <laughs> 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 Nothing. But
1: uh, it's uh, what's cool is that I I did get an agent. I did sign a contract with them, and it, it's basically in the NFL. They have a provision in their contracts that if in case of war or in case of military service, your rights with that team are preserved until your obligation or your commitment time is up. So <laughs> Cowboys had their rights. They had, you know had that flyer on me and. I actually signed a contract and I think my, that year I signed it. My signing bonus was $18,000. So after taxes, it was like 16 grand, something like that. And I thought, man, I paid off my car. I was able to buy some <laughs> furniture to get when I went into pilot training and yeah. I was you know, fat, dumb and happy as a second Lieutenant that, you know, had some cash in the bank and I wasn't
0: broke. No, that's, that's cool. And then I, I wanted to ask real quick, uh, you mentioned the Japan bowl. What was that? It was an all-star game
1: of seniors that, that played in Tokyo.
0: (laughs) At the, at the Yomari giant baseball thing or.
1: Um, It was an indoor stadium. No, this was an outdoor stadium. So yes, it probably, it would have had to have been. Yes. Um, I forget. I don't recall the the stadium, but it was, uh, it was, it was a cool experience and, you know, Looking back on it, I've actually played football in Japan three times, twice <laughs> as a professional.
0: Wow! What three uh,
1: season games?
0: Now, was that over Christmas break, or how was how did that? No, happen? that was
1: during. Uh, I mean, in in college, in college yeah. it was in January, is after Christmas break. We had played a bowl game. It was December twenty seventh, I believe. So yeah. we got about three or four days at home uh, after finals maybe it was a week or so, five days. And then I uh, had a report for the Freedom Bowl, which was in Anaheim, California. And we went to that. And then two days later, I was had to catch a flight out of LA to go to Tokyo to play in this bowl game. And then two days, I mean, after that game, and then I came back to San Francisco and Palo Alto at Stanford Stadium, we played the East West Shrine game. <laughs> so i my first couple of weeks of school I was out playing in these senior all-star games
0: and how did you catch up because I mean was that and that
1: was a challenge yeah. me. it it uh, uh, it it, uh, it was a challenge and then you know during that time too they were had all these uh, all and whatnot so I was gone like on the weekends and attending these things representing the Air Force and the Air Force Academy at these functions so it uh, study time was You know, either on planes or, you know, believe me, my instructors are very gracious, allowing me extra time to get caught up on some things.
0: Well, that's 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 quite a uh, that's quite a drill. That's quite a grind. Not not the average cadet grind. Hey,
1: sacrifice must be made, right? That seems to be the theme (laughs) of this conversation.
0: Well, but I, mean, I, and I think I think it's important for everybody to know that, you know, yeah, you got a lot of awards, but you end up there's a price for all this stuff and, and uh, so sanity is there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, you graduate, you get to go to pilot training, but you get told by your skipper you can't talk to your new guy that just sent you a bunch of money. What, what was that all about?
1: Well, uh, before I get to that, I was you know, lucky to be able to get into pilot training. I don't know if okay, here's yeah. where Mike Gould comes into play again. Huh. Um, Mike, at this point in time, is now a, I think he's a major. Yeah, he'd be a major, and he was the aide, exec to the general at ATC. You know, it's in control of pilot training. And, and I was, again, for my size, I had to get waivers for my height and my weight. I was too tall, and too heavy for the ACES two ejection seat. So Mike, you know, was basically saying, okay, the general of ATC says, you know, Mike, if Cadet Hennings, soon to be Lieutenant Hennings, wants to be able to go to pilot training, we may give him a waiver, but he's going to have to be able to fit in the backseat of a 38 Mm. under these specifications because I was, was, you know, I was beyond the maximum technically waverable height. So they (laughs) flew a, a 38 up to Pete Field and myself and another one of my classmates who was on the basketball team had to go through this drill of sitting in the backseat of a 38. And if they could close the canopy, you know, put the helmet on, put a broom <laughs> handle over your head and physically you close the canopy, you, you know, I got the waiver. Wow. And, and that's, you know, that's essentially how, you know, that happened and how I was able to get my waiver to be able just to go to pilot training. Cause I was all said. I had, I had won a, uh, through the conference, a scholarship to go, I was going to go get my MBA, hmm. but they said if, you know, Again, Cadet Hennings, now Lieutenant Hennings. If you want to go be a pilot, the Air Force kind of put that pressure on me. We're going to give you a two-week, two-month window. That if you don't go during these report during these two months, we're not going to give you the waiver. Wow! So that was the leverage they kind of had on I me, and I said, "Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I want to go fly." And I was able to go through the Euro NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training Program at Wichita Falls at Shepard, and that's where i uh ran into what what you had discussed where i was getting phone calls from different members of the media yeah. <laughs> and wanting to conduct interviews and you know wichita falls is only an hour and a half two hours tops depending on how fast you want to drive outside of dallas <laughs> so all these reporters were like okay we're the heck's lieutenant hennings there's this guy who won the Outland trophy the cowboys were struggling at the time were starting kind of their demise under tom landry era and, you know, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to fly, and, and I'm trying to figure out, too, if, you know, I'm too big for the plane, and it's a pain to fly that 37, and, and, and they kind of finally said, okay, anybody to answer the squadron phone, if they ask for Lieutenant Hennings, um, he's not here, you know, don't bother him, send him to, you know, uh, the, the wing commander's office, they'll answer the phones through their PR department so i was kind of a a ghost when i was going from media perspective at shepherd
0: but that was probably good because you need to be safe and learn how to do this
1: (laughs) oh no yeah and again it was just one of those distractions that it it was really and you know in all honesty john i i wanted to play i wanted the opportunity to quote unquote see if i had the right stuff so for me i understood from a mental perspective you know, I raised my hand. I, I I made a commitment. And if I want to be the man of integrity that I profess to be, I got to follow through with this. I don't. I can't cut corners, lawyer up, and trying to get out.
0: Yeah.
1: Of my commitment, but in my heart, oh, I yeah. wanted to play. And yeah. and here's the thing, too. Again, since you're so close to Dallas, the Cowboys would give <laughs> tickets. I went to several home games with you know some of my buddies that were in my pilot training class we had 50-yard line seats, sideline passes at the Cowboy Games. I
0: mean, oh, wow. No.
1: You know, and that's some pretty heady stuff. And I'm out there watching the guys in my draft class, the guys that I competed against at these all-star games, out there playing. And that's where I'm like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't be coming to these games because you know, mentally it was a big distraction for oh, me yeah. when I'm trying to learn my bold face and learn all the different things about
0: – yeah, that's that's the the mental trick there is. You know, this door's been closed in front of you. You got to go look for the one that's open because you keep staring at the closed door, and it just it's too hard to deal with. Yeah,
1: and that's you know mental toughness, and I think that was ideal training for me. You know, ultimately when you got into active duty, when I fly in the missions that I flew in Operation Provide Comfort, and then particularly coming back to play for the Cowboys later years, I relied on a lot of that mindset mental focus and you know again i had to learn that kind of the hard way and for me i could have read it in a book but i wouldn't have sunk in until i actually went through the experience
0: so speaking of your flying career you you did a what i if i read this right you did a joint venture between davis montham and england well we
1: uh once you finish pilot training depending upon then your assignment. If you got fighters, if you got heavies, I got a, you know, going to Shepherd. I got a fighter and I got the A-10. So I had to go in what the time they called lead in fighter training called lift, where it was at Hallman Air Force Base, where you're flying the AT-38s, where you're kind of, you're learning basic fighter maneuvers, how to drop bombs. It's just kind of that transition period between that and when you go to your remote training unit, your RTU of how to fly your specific aircraft that you're going to fly in active duty. Okay. And that was at Davis Month, and That's where I learned how to fly the A-10. Okay. And then from there, my active duty assignment, I was assigned to Ari Bentwaters Woodbridge in the UK. And that's where I did my two years of flying over there.
0: So that must have been a uh, kind of interesting environment because there's not a lot of American football over there.
1: Oh, believe it, there is actually. Okay. On the bases at USAFE, every base had their own football team. This was something that they had <laughs> continued post-World War II where, you know, Bentwaters had a team, Bitburg had a team, Spangdahlem had a team, and they all, uh, Ramstein had a team, (laughs) and they played in a USAFE league, and believe me, they tried to get me to play, and I'm like, man, there's no way in God's green earth I'm going to go out and play with these guys because somebody's going to want to take a shot at my knees, whatever, and I always had enough on my plate just flying, but there there were some guys that actually went and and, and played, I don't think I knew of any pilots, but there's a lot of enlisted guys and, and officers that weren't rated that, that went on to do that.
0: I could Get it. Get, get the exercise, right? <laughs> yeah. Exercise and you
1: wake <laughs> up bumps and bruises. And, but no, I, I played intramural softball basketball. I did everything else, except I did not want to do the football thing. Well,
0: I went through flight training in Pensacola. I played on the Pensacola rugby team. So that was, that was fun. And that's like town. what
1: Roger Roger Staubach at Navy when he he played on the uh, a base team quarterback back in the day, and that's kind of how he stayed in shape prior to coming back to the Cowboys too back in the day.
0: And when I when I went to grad school at UW after I got on active duty, I uh, I played on the Husky rugby team, and I was older than the coach. I was. Pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were bad, but it was it was fun. You got you got to keep some of that that sports stuff going. All right. So now I understand that you are you're you're in provide comfort. You're suppressing. Uh, this is after Desert Storm and in the, in the war in Kuwait. Well, actually, we, we the- left.
1: How that happened, we were I was based out of Europe and the war there. And that part of responsibility was a CENTCOM war. So and why we haven't figured this way, I don't know. But as most of the squadrons that are here in the you know, domestic U.S., had to deploy over to that was Saudi Arabia and to Kuwait and to that part of the world then, whereas it wasn't our war. We were the Cold War. We were still yeah. flying missions in, as a deterrent, you know, in preparation for the Soviets and East Germans to cross a folded gap from East Germany to West Germany. And, you know, the wall had f- just fallen down in 89 and, you know, this is 1990, 91, but it was, you know, tensions were still there. They're in the middle of the transition, but finally, Two days, twenty or forty-eight hours before the uh, secession of conflict in the first Gulf War, we were deployed out of. We were the first A ten squadron in USAFE to have to deploy from Bentwaters to Insulik, which is outside the city of Adana to Insulik Air Base, and yeah. then that's where we were flying. Provide comfort, which was as a deterrent both to protect the Kurds, and um, for those of you who want to look back in history, Saddam Hussein a couple of years prior to this had dropped chemical weapons, mustard gas, and a couple Kurds in part of Iraq. And that's where they thought, you know, after he got his tail kicked in the South, that he was quelling all these different insurrections, potential insurrections throughout the country to maintain his power. They thought that he was going to do the same thing. So all these Kurds fled their villages, went up in the mountains of Iraq, of Northern Iraq. And we were there to basically find these people, protect them. And then we, Road shotgun, basically Daisy Chained is A-10s, so the 130s, the tactical airlift that was in dropping supplies, oh. and pallets of tents and blankets and food and medicines to these people so that they could survive. And we did that for you know, a few weeks before they ultimately uh, talked to people out of the mountains to go back in the villages saying, hey, we're going to protect you. And then that mission morphed into Operation Northern Watch.
0: Okay. And you lived in Inserlick for how long?
1: I did two three month stints, so I was down there for six months.
0: And did you have Quonset huts or tents?
1: We had a no. We were able to be not necessarily a Quonset hut, but it was an old uh, like a, a dormitory, a single level dormitory building. It was like a Motel Eight where my squadron was sequestered there. It was it was actually kind of pretty cool um, for the officers, the uh, enlisted guys. All of our enlisted guys ended up being in Tent City. Yeah, but we were we were very fortunate you know, to do that. And, you know, as a young guy, when you're 20, what was I, 25, 20, you know, going on 26 years old, it was, it was a, it was a cool experience.
0: All right. So you didn't, you didn't, uh, end up in the tents or the... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it, it wasn't,
1: I mean, it's, it's... It wasn't Jack's standard of again, living, yeah. but it wasn't bad. It was just like living in a substandard dorm room, but I mean, in bunk beds, but it was, uh, it was better than sleeping on the floor someplace or sleeping in tents out in, you know, the field. That's why we went to the air force. So we didn't, we could go back to the base, (laughs) go to the old club, have a beer, or whatever after everything's over with and we didn't have to stay in the area.
0: So what was the flying like? Was that, was that pretty? Oh, the
1: flying was awesome. I mean, we, for us though, A-10 being so slow, we had to fly across from Inslick, which is, you know, about 30 miles inland from the Mediterranean sea had yeah. To fly across the whole southern part of Turkey, northern Syria, and then dip into northern Iraq. So it was about a two, two and a half hour, you know, ferry flight mission just to fly across that area to get into your target area, you know, to accomplish your mission. So, you, yeah. of an eight hour day of flying, you're probably only in the target area for a couple hours.
0: Did you have to get refueled or was that the. Yeah, we
1: always, we'd get refueled. That was being Turkish airspace. But that was kind of cool. We'd always made games out of. Uh, we didn't have the onboard radar, so we had to visually see the tankers and, and <laughs> just do the onboard geometry of how you're going to rejoin on this big. It was a KC-135 or DC-10 or whatever to our KC-10, whichever one it was. On, um, they're on the refueling tracks, and you know you get bored. And you'd make games how to do your geometry and how to rejoin without having to waste a lot of energy. So I mean, we just. We had a lot of fun doing different things.
0: And then before we move away from your flying career, I need to ask, did you ever have any close calls?
1: Yeah, I actually did. That was on my initial ferry flight. We were a, a four ship of A-10s. We took off at midnight out of Bentwaters. France was nice enough to let us fly over the air spa- their airspace. So it cut, you know, a significant amount of time. But for us, it was an eight plus hour ferry flight for just how fast the A-10 or how slow the A-10 goes, but about, oh, maybe 60, 70% of the way there I'm over the Mediterranean. I noticed my number two, my right engine was having an oil pressure issue and eventually it, it pegged and that's an emergency situation. You don't want your engine to see. So I had to shut my engine down and I'm in a, you know, flying single engine and for an underpowered aircraft like the A-10 to begin with. So mm-hmm. I ended up having to do emergency, um, landing at the on the island of crete at a naval air station called suda bay oh yeah and i had to do a straight in there so my wingman and i there and the other two a10s continued on to insulik and i ended up getting there the next day so that that was you know you practice single engine landings all the time just in case and i was having to do that but it, it was for me it was a, another great experience of how you work together with your wingman. How do you work together as a team? Everybody did their roles and, you know, we took care of each other. They took care of me. So I I was very appreciative of that.
0: Was that your first time ever to Suda Bay? Yeah. Yeah. So I think think that's important to note that uh, he's doing all this first time ever. (laughs) You know, with with a fairly stressful situation going on to that. That's uh, that's part of the situational awareness you, you pick up at the academy with all the crap they throw at you.
1: Oh yeah. And it's, and it's just adapt. Okay. What do we got to do? What's how you train? So a lot of it is muscle reflex, but it's okay. What's the plan. And that's what I, you know, heard the saying, you know, the what's, flexibility, air power, you know, the key to air power is flexibility or flexibility is the key to air power. And that's, you know, that's so true. I, every mission that we would fly in the A-10 is you'd brief it. Here's the Here's what we intend to do. This is the targets we're going at, but, We'd talk to the to a, to a FAC, a guy in the air, or a guy in the ground, and you know the whole tactical situation would change, and then you'd have to make a you know formulate a new plan, an attack plan, and that's that was some of the coolest and the best training I've ever had, not just in the Air Force flying A ten, but in life as to how to deal with the different when life happens, different obstacles that come. Okay, hey, didn't intend on this, but we've trained. Okay, how are we going to attack this? How can we be successful and um, I've carried those lessons with me f- you know to this day in business in Dallas
0: well Chad so now you're halfway through your commitment and a and a good deal shows up
1: <laughs> good deal yeah
0: talk, it's, to, uh, talk to us how that how you pulled that off
1: um I just got back from my second deployment to from Turkey from Inserlec
0: back into Dallas and we were doing
1: still a rotation we'd have to forward deploy to Germany at the different German air bases to provide a presence there. Again, remember this is post-Cold War, but you know, in the transitions of the Cold yeah. War. So as I'm over there, um, a buddy of mine calls, finds out where I'm at, calls me and says, man, they just waived two years off our pilot training commitment. I mean, they just waived our pilot training commitment. So I had been yeah. in four years, so I still had the one year left of our Air Force Academy commitment. I said, oh man, that's awesome. And I was coming up on an assignment um, because I'd been in you typically it was every two years you'd move and I was coming up that I was in a couple months here. I was going to have to make a decision as to what I was going to do for a follow-on assignment. So now I'm sitting here thinking here, I'm in a quandary. Do I roll the dice and try to go play for the Cowboys? So that would mean I'd probably go back to the Academy, be a graduate assistant, or do I just continue to stay in the air force and, you know, turn my back on football forever and ever and, and, become a career officer in the air force. Yeah. And, and that's where I was really struggling with that. So I called, you know, I talked with my, my parents, my wife coach DeBerry at the time. I talked to my pastor, talked to a chaplain, you know, just what's right. And um, this is, and then I'm back in England now, after that deployment and a couple of weeks later, um, my buddy, same buddy calls me again. He goes, man, you're not going to believe this. They just waived two, 24 months off of our service academy commitment because not enough people were getting out, It was, you know, that rift going reduction force. I'm like, Oh my gosh, now I'm ready to uh, actually, I'm, I could go play right now. And I struggled with that because I thought, am I leaving the air force? Am I reneging on my commitment? You know, I made a commitment to do it. Is that reneging? And then I had a, a crusty old weapons officer came up to me, and goes, man, don't be an idiot. He said, <laughs> you're going to do more for the Air Force by playing for the Dallas Cowboys, which ended up being the case than I could have yeah. ever done for, you know, st- sticking it and flying in the cockpit of the A-10. Yeah, And I'll, I can share that story with you but later, but how uh, that really came to pass. But I did, uh, then I called my agent who had represented me in the negotiations when I was prior to graduation. I said, hey, are the Cowboys still interested? Because Jerry <laughs> Jones just bought the team the year prior and I didn't even know if they were Knew the heck who I was. Yeah. So my agent calls the Cowboys and they said, "Yeah, we're interested." Is he in shape? Jack's like, "Well, he's you know, he's been deployed. He's in the Air Force. You know, he hasn't played football, but once you give him a workout." So they said, <laughs> "Okay." I get a phone call, to, you know, in the evening, saying, "There's a ticket for you at London Heathrow Airport. Can you be down there? The Cowboys want to fly you back. This would have been on a Thursday night. Cowboys fly out Friday." Cowboys want to work you out Saturday. And I said, let me check. I called my ops officer and I said, I told him, I said, sir, the, uh, I got a shot for go trying out for the Cowboys. Can I get emergency leave to go do this? And he says, whatever you need, go. Yeah. And, uh, my wife drove me down. I flew into Dallas that night, met with Jerry Jones, um, Stephen Jones, his son and Bobby Ackles, who's a GM and about what it was like, at, you know, flying in <laughs> Turkey and Iraq and, and just, kind of getting to know them on a personal level. And then that next morning, you know, I'm, I'm not, I haven't slept in probably 24 (laughs) hours because I'm all jacked up about this and the times eight hour time change that Saturday I went out and, you know, long story short, I had a great workout. I mean, I had some of the times that I did on the 40 and these pass rush drills and my bench press for the guys at my position at the combine for rookies, I would have been in the top, you know, two or three. Of all those, so I, I mean, I stayed in shape because when you're deployed, all you do is lift. As I said, lift weights and and fly. And I was, I put on about 20 pounds when I was in the active duty Air Force because that's
0: that's all you do, lift weights. Well, and you had the adrenaline going too, I think. Yeah,
1: when I had the adrenaline going too. And then literally, Coach Johnson came up to me afterwards and and said, you know, hey, before I flew back to England, he said, "I we like what we see. When can you come join us?" And I said, Coach, I have no idea. I have no idea, but, you know, I I literally, I saluted him and I said, I'm I'm gonna go find out. Flew back to England, talked to my squadron commander and officer officer. And I said, you know, this is the deal. What do you think? And I submitted my paperwork and within three weeks I was out processed out of the air force, moving my, my wife and myself back to the States getting ready to go for my first training camp.
0: So when did you hear that uh, Jimmy was going to trade you?
1: Well, you know, they, they had, um, (laughs) my agent was trying to get me traded to go to the Broncos. Okay, because he's he's from the Boulder area, and you know being close to Colorado, because they knew me more so than sure. the Cowboys. But the Cowboys, after that, said, "Man, we're not going to trade this kid. Shoot, <laughs> we're going to keep him." And you know, I'm thankful for that. And um, you know, I, and back to that one article that it was always cool when you're playing on Fox with John Madden and Pat Summerall, who are the all-time the greatest sportscasters of all time would always say if I ever made a tackle or a sack or something, they would say, man, that Chad Hennings, look at that size of that guy. How the heck did he fit in an A-10 Air Force Academy <laughs> graduate, Air Force fighter pilot? Yeah, You know, that's that's marketing, you know, and and advertising dollars that the Air Force never had to spend. And, you know, and, and that old fighter, that crusty old weapons officer was right. But I ended up flying my last mission in northern Iraq in you know, latter part of our early part of 92 and a played in the Super Bowl the same year. That's how fast that changed.
0: Wow. <laughs> so uh, I got to ask you a couple of cowboy questions. What about, who, what, how was the Leon Lett story for you? Leon, awesome
1: teammate. And, and just from a macro perspective in general, I've never been around a group of more selfless individuals than those guys, hardworking, just dedicated to their craft selfless, did whatever it, it took to not just win games, but to truly win Super Bowls. And Leon was one of those guys. He, uh, he was just a big kid at heart. You know, he's, unfortunately he's got two of the top two bloopers of the top 10 of all time in the NFL with some of his stuff, but he, uh, great teammate. I mean, I, I, I love Leon Lett, and we believe me, we had some characters in there from, Mark Tuane, you know, Michael Irvin, Charles Haley, that there was a lot of levity in the locker room. I'll, I'll say that.
0: Well, I, I read somewhere where he got hurt or he had gotten in trouble or something happened and you kind of took his spot, right? For a little while.
1: Well, yeah. Well, and that was uh, probably Russell Maryland, It was my second year where I got in. And yeah, they, ended up, they let Russell
0: yeah. on a, a free agent deal. It,
1: it, yeah. And I get, went in and, and was able to, uh, you know, that's how I got to start was after that. I was in the rotation, but that's when I moved up to be the starter at that point in time.
0: I, I got to ask, did you ever meet uh, some of the famous guys like Bob Bully? and Doug Oh, Back? all the time. Yeah.
1: We, we see them all the time. And that's where it was really surreal for me as a kid, watching those guys. And then, and then you know, actually being a part of that same experience as what they did. It, again, it was a very surreal experience, but it's you, you're in that club now you're you're in that fraternity. Yeah. And you know we we all wore that star on our helmet and again a bunch of great guys, down to earth, love Bob Lilly, love Roger Staubach, Preston Pearson, Drew Pearson, Walt Garrison, Randy White, all those guys were, have, were are are still phenomenal guys.
0: Do you remember a guy named Hugh Millen? Yeah. Is a backup quarterback uh, for, for one of those Super Bowls. At least he's a he does the radio and TV up here in Seattle. Ra- okay. Radio or not TV, but he's he's a pretty sharp character. He breaks down film of the Seahawks games every week. He gives us a real detailed thing. Very cool. So, all right. So now you you get to go to the White House again, right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: we uh we did that uh, a couple times, and I think it was funny story it was the uh bill clinton the third year when we won the third super bowl that we went um that was 1995 so uh, rich dalrymple the cowboys pr director came up to me and said chad we want you to present president clinton with you know your jersey 95 because that was the year okay and i said okay that, that's cool and, and i can remember this is how it went. Jerry gets up and he's, you know, saying a few remarks in the West wing and he says, you know, Mr. President, I'm from Arkansas, you know, Bill Clinton's from Arkansas. And yeah. he goes, I'm from Arkansas. And, you know, this, this is a great to be here. And then it was Barry Switzer was the coach and he's from Arkansas. He goes, you know, president, you know, Clinton, I'm, you know, I'm from Arkansas It's a great thing. And then, then it's my turn. And I get up and I say, well, Mr. Cl- president Clinton, I'm not from Arkansas, but I'm you know here to present my, the jersey on behalf of the Dallas Cowboys too so everybody kind of chuckled and laughed but that's what
0: was kind of fun so so when uh, uh I guess so you played enough to get a, a neck problem is that what I read here
1: well yeah, that was it I have uh it wasn't a it was more of a chronic and not an acute injury that I think from years of pulling G's in a jet from doing a lot of lifting with heavy barbells on my neck, doing push presses and squats, and then ultimately banging heads, running into people. That was my job. Every, you know, every practice, every game, I would run into somebody 20, 25 times, 30 times, whatever. And I ended up having to have a cervical fusion in my neck between my third and fourth cervical vertebrae. It just that disc shot. So that was, you know, the end of my my career 2000 season. So, you know, God made it intuitively obvious for me when it was time to hang up my cleats. But at this time, I was, you know, 36 years old. So it, it was time anyway. My goal was always, I always wanted to do 10 years, but I got nine and that was enough.
0: All right, that's good. I mean, that, that's impressive, especially with a little bit of a later start. That that definitely, uh, that's very Yeah, I think I... Turned
1: 27, my rookie year that fall, so I was <laughs> several years older than the other rookies.
0: And then, uh, so so there you go. You've had your Air Force flying jobs, you've had this fantastic football career. What what kind of led you to your next step?
1: You know, that was you know, believe it or not, I I it was one of those things in life where at the Air Force they kind of told you where you're going to go, what you're going to do. Yeah, you had a chance. Did you want to go fly? And then playing for the Cowboys, that was always, hey, i I know what I'm doing. Now, I mean, I, I wanted to go play that. I want to be a professional athlete. But now, at the, it was this point in my career, in my life, where I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm asking myself that question: What do you want to do? <laughs> I don't know. Because yeah. you've always, I've always been focused in training and preparing either to, you know, to fly jets, or it was, you know, as a professional athlete. Now it took me literally a couple of years to kind of try and figure it out that I've enjoyed public speaking. So I've done that. I've written a few books and, and I ultimately landed in um, investment in commercial real estate business because it, 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 fits my, it suits my personality with the relationship built relationship building aspects of, of that. But, you know, and that's where I've been able to, to mentor disciple others getting out is that man, don't expect to fall into a job or a position or a role immediately after you separate. It's typically your third job that you fall on. (laughs) And the thing is for me, what telling everybody was, I'll ask them a question. Okay. Who are you? Well, I'm so-and-so retired Lieutenant Colonel, blah, 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 former F-16 fighter. No, that's not. You know, that that's what you did. It's not who you are. And that's where that transition of separating from the military where you're that intense environment or you know professional athletics same thing your identity is all wrapped up in what you do but that's that's only for a short period of time in yep. your life now now what are you going to do now who are you truly and that's that's a struggle that i think all of us go through at one point in time in our lives is to figure out okay what's this all about why did i do what i did
0: who am i no i, I think i that's that's uh, we all go through that. I want to let you uh, expound a little bit now at the end of this thing on some of the cool side jobs you've got going on. You're uh, like tell us what is Wingman Ministries?
1: Yeah, I uh, that was one of the things I've alluded to over our conversation here is I struggled with that identity piece, and I also kind of struggled with um, when I was with the Cowboys, I my oldest, my oldest child, my son got really ill shortly after we won our third Super Bowl. And, and it was a, a very trying and difficult experience for me. It was kind of one of the things in life that I couldn't fix by my own efforts and abilities. And and I was really, in all transparency, very vulnerable. And But I didn't have anybody. I couldn't go into the locker room, just like I probably couldn't have gone into a fighter squadron and said, man, I, I'm not holding it together. I don't You know, my son. I don't know whether he's going to make it or not. I've got all these doctor's appointments to go to, and and I still have to compete and and operate on a very high level. And that's where I reached out and finally reached out to a friend, a pastor friend of mine. And that's where I started. Was the impetus of starting this Wingman Ministries, where we form small groups where guys can form those transparent, Christ-like, masculine relationships where you can help guys walk through life and and talk and talking to share. So for me that was very instrumental and and very freeing and uplifting and and it's and it's helped a lot of men around the country for that matter of of just figuring out who they are. And so I've I've been able to do that and I've I've done a lot of different things. Uh, both for veterans organizations. I'm very involved in different philanthropic efforts here in the Dallas area for at-risk kids and families. Um, And then, you know, also doing a lot of different stuff for the Air Force Academy too. Whenever they call, I always try to help in a variety of different things, whether it be through the Sabre Society or the different capital campaigns and, and, and whatnot. So it's, for me, it, John, it's, it's kind of like I'll, I'll make this comparison in life that a, a football or a, a sports analogy. When you're in your teens and your 20s, you're kind of like that freshman or that fourth classman or that, that rookie on a team trying to make the team and figure out what your role is on the team. Then you get yeah. into your 30s and your 40s and you're kind of that, that player coach. You're that veteran. You're that individual that you start to realize, hey, my success is dependent upon these other guys lifting them up you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, all ships. Then you get in your fifties, like now I'm in my fifties, later part of my fifties going into sixties. Now it's not, hey, I've been there, done that. I've done all the stuff. I've I've got the skins on the wall. Now it's giving back and helping others. And again, it's that whole concept of the long blue line of, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of those guys that went before me, just as there's going to be others that'll stand on my shoulders to continue to make the institution, you know, the football program, just to make everything better because you always wanna leave it better. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do now. But in business, I have a commercial real estate company as I alluded to, and, and that's um, given me the freedom to do a lot of different things that, that I'm passionate about.
0: Yeah, and I see on here the, a list of really cool uh, things you support. Uh, North Texas Food Bank, the Center for Brain Health, National Football Foundation, Human Coalition, promise keepers journal of uh, the the journal of character and leadership development. And then the, the Academy stuff, you're the 88 class chair for a gift they tried a few years ago. That's, that's all really impressive.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And then, uh, you're also, uh, uh you've got some athletic honors that kind of kind of climbs the ladder here. It's really, I, I liked it. I, I, I enjoyed reading it. And oh, four, you got into the, uh, the Colorado Springs Sports Hall of Fame and then in Oh five the Colorado Hall of Fame and then 06, the College Hall of Fame and then Air Force decided, <laughs> okay, he's good enough to get in our Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'm going where was Air Force along this path, They should have yeah. picked you up a lot earlier than that.
1: <laughs> well, and I my attitude, to these Hall of Fames, it just means you're an old guy. That you've been well, around yeah. long enough that they going to put you into something.
0: But, but I, I like the timing of that where they, they all these other things are lining up, and then the last one on the list is Air Force. Like, it took them a while to figure that out. You've done more for them, at least on the uh, analytics side, than anybody else. That's pretty cool. Um, last last personal question I got for you: Did you ever uh, meet some of the other uh, earlier Academy guys who had been drafted, like Ernie Jennings or Dave Lawson? No, I did
1: not. I have not, and. Um... You know, but what I, you know, a lot of the older guys, not necessarily guys that drafted a lot of the guys from that class. I was a 30th class. So that very first class, 59 guys, a lot of those guys would come in to our locker room back when I was playing. And I thought, man, these guys, man, they're old. <laughs> and then I realized that, you know, I was the 60th, you know, we just had our 30th reunion. And I'm realizing that, you know, we're, we're 30 years beyond now. I'm that old guy to these yeah. young guys. And it's, you again, it's perspective, but I, I just, you know, I love talking to, you know, like we just were at the commander chief or at the commander's classic here for the air force army game. And just talking to a lot of the guys that went before me and a lot of the players that were after it's, it's a fraternity, it's a bond and I'm proud to have been affiliated with the program and with the air force Academy.
0: Well, Chad, I thank you very much for this. Hey, appreciate it, John. Thank you.